Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Madison Reed. It's the hair color that's revolutionizing the way women color their hair with gorgeous. Gorgeous! Salon quality. Multi-dimensional hair color delivered to your door on your, your schedule. Door. Join the hundreds of thousands of women just like me. Like you! Who have tried and who love, love. Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10%, 10% off. 10%! Plus free shipping on your first color kit. But you have to use the promo code Crime writers. Was oh, that new? That's a new code. Yes, it's a new code. Thank crime. you for not yelling for a second and responding. It is a new code. Crime writers. Crime writers. With one a, word. With a new w. code. Madison Reed.com and use the promo code Crime, crime writers. writers. Big plans for the new year? Big plans. Squarespace makes it easy <gasps> to turn your idea into a unique website. Stop the ad. Squarespace is sponsoring our podcast. Yeah. We have our website on Squarespace, Kevin. I love Squarespace. Well, showcase your work, blog, or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks. Do it. You can customize everything from look and feel to settings and products using beautiful templates created by world-class designers. And there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code CWO, CWO. to save 10% <laughs> off your first purchase for a website or domain. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll take an early look at the number one podcast on the charts, Atlanta Monster. This series is billed as an investigation into the Atlanta child murders, which seems to have been solved in the early 1980s. Does controversial up and vanished non-podcaster and host Payne Lindsay deliver the goods? We'll find out. We'll also discuss NBC's attempt to retell the story behind one of last year's most popular podcasts as Dirty John gets the TV treatment. Joining me to dive into all of that and more is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, fellow Married with Podcast podcaster, and host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, certified cat lady, and almost certified <laughs> Laura Ingalls Wilder, Laura Bricker. Oh. Hello, Laura. 
I think I'm certified after today. Uh, me and Big Blue the Tractor got well acquainted this <laughs> afternoon. I got to hear more about I that. I don't think the Ingalls had a tractor, but we'll get back to that. It's been an ox. Also with us is the author behind the brilliant City Trilogy of Novels and our favorite Clean John, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. I did do the uh, Little House on the Prairie and just shoveled. <laughs> yes. Today. You are the pa of our Ingalls family. <laughs> The, the, the Michael Landon. You are the Michael Landon, but with smaller ears. Uh, Laura, that means he's going to cry every episode. <laughs> Laura, this means that you have learned to drive this tractor, and you are now officially driving the tractor. What is going on? Oh, I've, I've been driving the tractor for a few years now, but I haven't plowed yet this year. I was sick during the last big snowstorm. And the backstory is that um, this is part PSA. When you take the Christmas tree stand out and your husband says, just put it on the porch, I'll take it out later, remind him of that when he goes out in the dark on the porch to get firewood. Um, So poor Fireman Ken stepped in the middle of this thing last night. I thought someone was burglarizing our house. He screamed so loud. There was spikes (laughs) in the middle of the Christmas tree thing. That's what holds the Christmas tree down. So he's at the ER and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to plow today. Oh, is Fireman Ken okay? Is he going to be okay? He's okay. He's on some antibiotics so his foot doesn't get infected because he got some pretty uh, nice gouges from this thing last oh, night. Jeez. And it's all wow. his fault because he's the one who didn't put it away, right? He told me to put it on the porch. And then the next thing I know, ah, I was like, oh my God, is someone breaking in? Ooh. Like, Sounds like we don't know whose fault it is. It sounds like that it, way to me. Just saying. I think yes. it's a Judge yeah. Judy decision. Now, Kevin, you are you are the king of starting projects and then leaving the stuff with which you did the project exactly where the project happened. Like, for instance, if you need a screwdriver to fix something in one of our son's bedrooms, the screwdriver will then be in the son's bedroom. Can't you just be grateful that I did the project to begin with? <laughs> Do I have to get crap about you didn't pick no, up the but screwdriver? But whose fault would it be then if someone stepped in the screwdriver? The project's? Uh, or this yours. isn't orange is the new black where like a <laughs> screwdriver goes missing and everybody goes in a lockdown. All right. All right. Well, let's just give a couple quick updates because we have a lot to get to in terms of content tonight. And I really want to get there. Um, Kevin, first up, what the hell is the status of Studio C? Because last week you announced that uh, Studio C, formerly known as a closet in our basement, mm-hmm. No longer had uh, the name, what was the previous name? The Podcast Hall of Justice. Podcast Before that, Hall it was Justice. Square Studio. And the naming rights were up for grabs. And then like five minutes later, what's going on? Uh, well, we have a new uh, sponsor who will um, get the naming rights to the studio. We had like a bidding war going on. Like people were like emailing us. Yeah. I'm very disappointed. The studio naming rights aren't available. And I'm like, guys, you all know it's actually a closet in our basement, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, our, our listener, Alyssa, mm-hmm. uh, has uh, stepped up and she'll get to rename our studio. We're going to uh, decide on, you know, what that great moniker is and we'll be able to unveil it in our next episode. Will there be a drum roll? Well, if you can add one, sure. Is it going to be like the HGTV dream home where like it's going to be <laughs> a ramp up period and then we'll unveil it and who, who the winner is? Can we do the that? sound effect we do in these other stories where Kermit the Frog comes out <laughs> and the drummer goes, yay! All right, we'll maybe do that. All right, so we'll find out next week. Uh, one more piece of business. Next week, a lot of listeners chimed in on this. And so, by the way, did Toby Ball. So Kevin and I gave it a look-see. And we decided that uh, this, in fact, should be on the docket for next week. Next week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the Netflix series Dark. 
But I have one very big caveat to throw out at our audience when they are watching the series on Netflix. Now, Kevin, can you explain the tech mm. side quickly after I tell them what they need to do? So the Netflix series Dark is a German series, and it is offered on Netflix with English dubbing, meaning you can just hit play and you'll get to see the show. That's the default. And the default is that you will see very, very earnest and good German actors with very, very bad English dubbing over. But you can actually fix that. And I would highly recommend watching it in German with subtitles. It is, I would say, like 100 percent better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how do you do that, Kevin? Okay, it depends. Uh, Most people are streaming right off of the Netflix app or or the integration on their smart TV. And some people like we, we also have the ability because we have Comcast. It's integrated in our system. And we watch that way. Either way, there is an option or menu button that will come up. Language options. Well, yes, it's language options. Uh, it's uh, either in the bottom right-hand corner, like when you see like the uh, the streamline, you know, the play and the, the the progress bar. It's either there in the bottom right or like on the Xfinity app. When you do it, it comes up in the the top left. It may look like one of those um, closed captioning symbols. Yeah. And you just click on that. It'll give you the option to decide what language you want the closed captioning in and what language you want the audio to be in. Right. So you can watch it any way you want. You can watch it, listen to it in French with German subtitles or whatever. <laughs> but w- what we've been doing is we've been uh, watching it with the English subtitles and resetting it to the original German soundtrack. Which you have to do it with each episode. Yeah, because it'll reset, yeah. at least the, you know, it, it, with our interface. Everybody's interface might be a little different, but right. that's the way we say it. Now, if you don't want to spend a lot of time reading, you can you know use the... The English dub version, it's, it kind of takes... It's weird. We started it, and it was... It's not Godzilla bad, but... It's Godzilla bad. Yeah, the, the, the voice acting is not as good as sort of the original German acting. And, 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 you know, whatever. I'm enjoying to it. To each his own, but I don't that's like how we like it. I don't like things that are subtitled because I like to do other things when I'm watching TV. I'm enjoying it 150% more in right. the German. It's... I'm just going to say it right now. I'm only, what, like four episodes in? Yeah. I'm really liking it so far. Again, I the show can't is wait to called talk about Dark? it. It's called Dark. Yeah. And Toby, you're watching it too, right? Because I think I saw you tweet about it, which is what made me say, like, we should give this a second look-see because we've gotten so many emails about it. Yeah, although I, did, I had no idea about the whole subtitle thing. So. Are you watching it with English dubbing? Yeah. Oh, my God. Weird. Oh, <laughs> change that up, man. Yeah, I, I'm going to be changing it up. I, I'm going to replay... When this thing hits, I'm going to replay your explanation as I futz with my TV. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really recommend it. Yeah. I'll just say for our listeners who haven't heard about Dark, I know it's like trending on Netflix and it's really popular. It's a little bit like Stranger Things, a little bit insofar as that there's a band of mm-hmm. kids. It's a little bit like Stephen King novels where mm-hmm. there's also a band of adults yeah. in concert with a band of kids. Yeah. It's a whole lot like the podcast Tannis. There is a supernatural sort of kind of science fiction tinge to it. Yeah, it does a very difficult, without spoiling it, a very difficult specific genre of science fiction slash fantasy that is often done very badly. It does it really, really well. So far, so far, we might get to the end and say this was a bad idea. This was a fucking disaster. We don't know. So far, though. So good. So let's just get started getting right into our content for the night. Kevin, can you please read this for me? True Crime Podcast Update. (laughs) What an update it was. Last Friday, Dateline NBC's weekly 
quote, reporting on true crime stories focused on John Meehan, better known to podcast listeners all across this fine land as Dirty, Dirty John. John. The hour-long episode of Dateline NBC relied on interviews with Deborah, a.k.a. Stupid Deborah. Not stupid Deborah. Sturdy John. It's not stupid Deborah. Her daughter Tara and John's first wife, as well as podcast host, LA Times reporter Christopher Gofford. Before we get into the TV version of this Dirty John story, Kevin, can you just fill us in like on Dateline as a TV show? Because oh. we've gotten feedback on our Facebook page, uh-huh. and I know that I don't watch Dateline a whole lot. And I always forget, when I haven't watched it for a long time, when I do, how unbelievably cheesy it is. Yes or no? Can you please explain this show to us? Each of the three major networks have a show like this. They, there's 48 Hours, uh, there's 2020, and Dateline NBC. That are, They all originally started off as news magazines. And now they're true crime in, shows. In the, in, in the vein of 60 Minutes. Right. But they have morphed into what is easy to do and gets an audience and that is rehashing true crime stories. Not not too dissimilar than what happens on Investigation Discovery or Oxygen, these cable networks that just do nothing but this. Right. But if you spend a lot of time and you watch Investigation Discovery, and there are some shows that are better than others, it's hard to remember that at the network level, there are actual primetime shows, you know, legacy primetime shows, that this is the formula. Yeah. So it isn't relegated to, you know, premium cable or, or basic cable, true crime uh, television. It's always been on the network. And some have embraced the genre in different ways. Right. It is a little weird to me mm-hmm. to see the anchor of the nightly news broadcast. Lester Holt. That we watch. We yeah. actually watch NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Also anchoring this. Right. <laughs> That's why I, every time I watch it, I'm like so confused. Right. I well, he, do remember, he'd done it for years and years before. Right. But the this show gig, used to be like more of a news show. They all were. They, yeah. They, yeah. That's how they were all uh, first, uh, you know, dreamt. But look, you, I mean, we know this. There's been cutbacks to TV news and and whatnot. And, and how do you fill an hour of programming? You can't do. I mean, Jeff Rawson comes on the Today Show like every other week. And I don't want to say shit about Jeff Rawson because I know one of the producers. I worked with him at a TV station. And Jeff Rawson seems like a nice person. He's nice. But some of the investigations are so fucking lame. How many peanuts are actually in your peanut butter? Yeah, you know, it just it's it's like you just can't pull that out every week. So th- that's why true crime works is right. because uh, not only because people watch it because there are idiots like me and you and Laura who've written books on this stuff and they just go, "Hey, you've done all the work. How about we do yeah. an hour on what you know?" Right. Yep. Well, let's talk about what we know because okay. I think a lot let's of get into that. Yeah. People who tuned into this Dateline tuned in possibly because they had heard the podcast Dirty John. Mm -hmm. But also here we have a story that turned into a podcast that is now a TV, quote, news product about a story that was in a podcast. Yeah. Very transparently. Laura Bricker. Did you learn anything new in this Dateline NBC version of Dirty John? Um, no. <laughs> Unless you count like seeing a picture of the nice little house that they rented out on the uh, fancy island. Yep. Uh, Balboa no. Island. Yes. I was like, oh, those look like interesting places. So, no, I mean, it was it was a very, I felt, superficial rehash of the podcast using the players from the podcast to tell them the story. But, you know, for me, I liked seeing the people that I had heard on the podcast, even though I had looked at, 
you know, the pictures online and links on the Los Angeles Times website when Dirty John did come out. You know, it was interesting to see the people talking and, and their mannerisms in person. But aside from that, I felt like very superficial and, and glossed over a lot of the story as well. Yeah. Speaking of which, glossing over the story, Toby, they didn't just gloss over the story. They glossed over a whole character in the story because in the Dirty John podcast, there were very prominently two daughters. There was Tara, who ends up being, you know, the person involved in sort of the climax of the story. And then there's the whole other daughter, who's the one who puts the tracking device in the car and the one who kind of moves the action forward in the podcast. And she's very conspicuously absent from the TV version. Toby, what do you take away from this TV treatment of Dirty John? Um, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so I I like seeing uh, American hero Skylar Sepulveda. Oh, teenage badass. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even though you only saw her for like 30 seconds. Did you think the whole um, thing could have been about that girl? She no, looked, but yes. She looked just like I thought she would look too, right? <laughs> Yeah, she kind of did her TV thing the way she seems like she did the whole thing with Tara being stabbed. She's just like, oh, yeah, uh-huh. And, uh huh. Like no, no special makeup, no special clothes. Yep, this is where I sit when I'm when I'm a lifeguard, right here. Yeah. Was... Um, the only thing that that I thought about afterwards was, you know, just the different level of journalism and detail and presentation. Uh, between the podcasts, which I think we all agreed was really well done, and this, which it's hard to make a boring show about this. So it wasn't boring, but the writing was was absolutely god awful. Mm-hmm. Like the way they describe um, Deborah's job, where she's, you know, in the in the podcast they say, well, she basically what she she like sets up real estate properties right for people mm-hmm. to come and take a look just at staging and just interior design staging yeah. and in this it becomes like she owns a you know furniture company and you know it sounds like she owns like three different companies but they all basically when you combine them together just means staging it, you know I, I guess i wasn't really surprised by anything other than like how ridiculous keith morrison is mm. <laughs> kevin's favorite tv correspondent <laughs> He's bizarre. And some of the stuff he said was so weird. Right. He looks like a cult leader. Right, Kevin? He, I say, I say, he <laughs> looks like how somebody would draw him on South Park. <laughs> you know, like this big head with these like weird wrinkles. And there's also the delivery. The delivery. You have like a Keith Morrison that you Death do. Death doer's part. <laughs> like, a long time ago, I was contacted by NBC to do a piece on the book Wicked Intentions. They wanted to do something, and it was either going to go to Dateline NBC, the network, or it was going to go to uh, one of the shows they had on their network. I don't know if it was True TV. It was something. It was, I, it was a channel. Honestly, God, we didn't get Clue or True yeah, TV. whatever. Yeah. You know, they have their production company does all these different things. And you know, I was like, oh yeah, trying to like talk them into like the Dateline. producer yeah. about getting us up to Dateline NBC. And I was like, hey man, I will do you know whatever. I will <laughs> Keith Morrison's to get on NBC. <laughs> and um, you know, the, but here's the thing: did is it that, work? But would it, you? It, 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 I did, and I never made it. Yeah. Um, oh. Me too. Did me, <laughs> I hashtag me too. Oh, come on. That's not me. Um, but, he, uh, you know, the the funny thing is that the producers kind of, I uh, there was an email exchange about Keith Morrison, kind of like wink, wink. They, they kind of get his gestalt. They are the ones who write the stuff for him to say after the interviews, and they are writing to his sort of- To his voice? His, his shtick. Right. 
yeah, he is kind of that cheesy, but like the people who like write his scripts like make him even cheesier. So one of the things that stuck out because to they me love it. Yeah. was that you know in the po- when we were talking about the podcast, we talked about the very and you know as you know, I'll say it again, only because I just want to be clear. Mm-hmm. I don't like when people talk shit about women's voices and the way they come across. Right. However, yeah. the women in this family have the flattest affect of any people I've ever seen or heard. Do you like think in, it was different than in the podcast? The I way they... think it was exactly the same as in the podcast, oh, okay. which is why they kind of needed, I think, to use TV stuff to juice it up. Deborah, by the way, I think comes off pretty sympathetically. Mm-hmm. You know, she we hear in the podcast that she's like a beautiful older woman, and she is, in fact, a yeah. beautiful older woman. Um, Tara. And, and the mentioning of Tara having PTSD at the end almost felt like an, an apology an afterthought. to the listener. Like, if, you, if you've been wondering why she hasn't been. If you've been wondering why she's. Animated so weird as or whatever. This person from last week, yeah. But one of the tricks they do to sort of animate, because Tara, you know, drives a lot of the narrative forward mm-hmm. in the state line thing. And one of the tricks they do is something that one of our listeners commented on. Um, a couple of people on our Facebook page, Margot Donahue, for instance, says, "Am I nuts to say I was surprised to find out how handsome she was?" Meaning John, no, you're not nuts. He was in fact more handsome, I think, than we saw as many pictures of him than I thought he was too. But Lisa Thompson says, "I do have one question about the episode." WTF was going on with putting a bunch of cameras in a car and then showing repeated shots of Tara viewed through the steering wheel <laughs> from the front, from, from the odd back, angles, from the side. Yeah. just driving around silently alone in that car. How is that any way relevant or illustrative about the story? They must have been desperate for B-roll yep, to fluff up it. their 42 minutes of the same five photos. Yep, yep. Repeated over and over again of Tara and her dog gazing thoughtfully at the ocean or strolling on the beach. Uh, so, I agree, Mrs. Donahue. Yes. And so uh, that's actually Lisa. That's not Mrs. Donahue. That's oh, Mrs. Sorry. Thompson. Sorry, Mrs. Thompson. Uh, so, uh, Laura, um, Tara. Yes. Do you think the driving was necessary to make it us able to withstand the flat effect of the delivery of this, what should be a very exciting story? I don't know. I, well, I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to. I actually fell asleep in like the last 15 minutes of this, so it didn't oh. work. Um <laughs> I was like, this is enough. You know, I felt like they were doing it, like they were trying to make it like, she's out investigating John, driving around. They were trying to, I mean, they definitely, here she is again, like Nancy Drew. Um, but it, it when they used the same clips over and over, I was like, and they used the same photos over and over as well, which was really driving me batshit. I'm like, oh, we're looking at the same photo of John in the water again. I don't know if it was necessary, but they tried. Now, Toby, speaking of photos, I know you have feelings about a photo that we were shown that a law enforcement official used to prove Tara's, I don't know, innocence in terms of like her uh, killing of John, that um, she's sitting with her dog in the hospital and that was supposed to prove something or other? Yeah. Well, they have that assistant DA or whatever he was. And he says, you know, this picture says it all. You know, it's a it's a girl who's trying to do the right thing and her dog and they're they're in the hospital or whatever. It's like, what? (laughs) Like, it seems like again and again, it's like these people who are prosecutors are like basing things on like looking at people and and trying to figure out whether they think they're guilty or innocent by the way they look. It's Charles Manson and his cat. If it was like a Latino or an African-American like teenage boy. Who'd saved her? And he was in the hospital with his dog. And he was in the hospital. Yeah. Would then it would have been like, well, maybe, you know, 
it's homicide because he doesn't look innocent, you yeah. know, He's by my standards. He's just sitting there with his dog. Yeah. He looks casual. Yeah. I mean, I, so it's yeah. It, like if it was the first time we'd heard it, like of all the things that we've listened to, it'd be one thing. But it seems like again and again and again. Oh, just look at him. You know, I took a look at him and tried to think about, you know, his soul. And it's like, <laughs> Jesus, what about the evidence? Like the guy had like a kit in there to like abduct and kill right, her. Right. It's not about her picture with the dog. That's the thing that made you think that she probably didn't attack him. I mean, my feeling was they didn't do Tara any favors. Right. She's just kind of seems kind of out of it. There's also that weird thing that happens after, which I don't think was in the podcast. You correct me if I'm wrong. Where we hear that right after she kills John, when he attacks her and she kills him, she goes and sits on the curb and calls her. They call her mom and they put her on the phone with her mom. And she's like, I told you this would happen. Yeah. I told yeah. you this is exactly <laughs> what would happen. And I'm thinking like, A, that's a super weird way to say that. Like yeah. it's it's almost like saying like, I told you bananas would be on sale if you just waited a day. It would have been 30 cents less. It seems like super casual, right? Uh, well, she's in shock. And, yes. you know, I mean, I know. You just, and you that's just why I hate to say it yeah. because I'm always the one saying, like, you shouldn't judge people's affect. We shouldn't talk smack about women. These women do not do themselves favors when they give interviews. Uh, yeah. But, but then why do they put it in there? Like, if you're supposed to be, you know, she's like a sympathetic. Yes, she you know, is. I, I mean, don't she, disagree. She's, she is a victim. She's the heroine of this story, and they put in all this stuff that makes her her look bad. You know? I, I know it looks bad, but. I think they tried to make her look good. Yeah. I think this is as good as it gets in terms of, like, her ability to communicate. I think as a producer, if I were writing it, I'd be like, this is an important piece of audio because you get this, you you can get her sense of what happened immediately after the attack. Right. Now, maybe it's this weird affect or whatever, but the phone call is interesting. What would, what, you know, if you didn't hear it, it's like, and I said, Rebecca, what do you think that phone call was like when she called her mom and said she killed John? I would think she was screaming. I would think she was hysterical. Yeah. What do you it say? Would- How do you start it off? Uh, told, don't be mad, but I told you this would happen. Yeah, you know. It, it, I'll tell you, uh, this is this was my kind of problem with it. So my so the Dateline thing obviously has its own problems as a TV product, mm-hmm. right? But this was also my problem with the podcast was that we were asked to invest in a story which we kept being told was going somewhere, mm-hmm. and the narrative forces in the story, the women telling the story, were sort of the least relatable, flattest women in terms of like their affect and in terms of their ability to actually advance a narrative mm-hmm. it all just feels very surreal yeah and, and i'll say like on a, the, the storytelling took the same turn as the podcast where we start off with this anecdote about an attack and somebody being dead right. or the implication that yeah. somebody is dead and you mentioned before well we never got the older sister now we don't know if she just didn't want to participate but by not having her either on purpose or not, I think a lot of television viewers who don't know anything about the story would think that the sister isn't there because she was killed in the beginning. Right. So there's that suspense. And so there's a twist for those people at the end that, no, it was John who was killed. So I don't know. I mean, I think like you have to wonder, for the people who heard the podcast and then watched the show, what did they get versus people who watch the show not knowing anything about the podcast who may now listen to the podcast. Right. Who's, who is actually a better served uh, consumer? The podcast listener, because the part that I felt was really missing in this that 
you really got a sense of in the podcast was how many times Deborah would like say she was going to leave John and then he'd come up with a story and she'd go back and mm-hmm. then she'd leave again and then he'd come back. And I, I don't feel like they really got to that in the Dateline show. Yeah. If I was just watching the Dateline show, I wouldn't have maybe gotten that same feeling of just how manipulative he was and just what a hold over her he had in that she kept going back. Because I feel like they they said she went, like she left and then she never went back the way that they described it. Yeah. So Kevin, uh, I did an hour-long special on the Anansayad case. Right, right. And we hear, of course, that the Tara Grinstead case from Up and Vanished, for instance. And then we saw the uh, Maura Murray case brought to a TV show. Are networks bringing these podcast stories to a larger audience? Or are they just trying to ride the coattails now of podcasters? Um, I think that they are just trying to you know, ride the coattails. I mean, I think that a lot of the podcasts are like a proving ground. You know, we see even like in the uh, the fictional ones, like uh, Homecoming, right? Homecoming. And Lore, which is actually very good. You're enjoying Lore on Amazon, right? Yeah. Our yeah. friend Aaron Mankey, by the way, yeah. congratulations to him. Oh, for 4K looks awesome. Uh, Aaron uh, Mankey is crushing it in the podcast slash TV slash writing <laughs> world. Well, he's got a book as well. He has yeah. many his, his, his books. that like several have, books. That his just, like rejected novels yeah. are now being published. He's And he's also, by the way, That's I don't a, know if any yeah. of our listeners listen to Lore and like know Aaron Mankey. And I know on Twitter he's like a, like a really like fun like advocate for like not taking any shit. Mm-hmm. We met him at uh, that podcast Pod, conference yeah. we went to. He's also like the nicest person in the yeah, entire world. Very Fellow unassuming. New Englander, yeah. Super unassuming. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, but whether it's it's like you know getting on people's coattails, it is because certainly everybody sees. Oh, this is something that the true crime audience is into, and that includes book readers, podcast listeners, TV viewers. And oh, this is the hot thing. We're going to chase the hot thing. They've always done that. Yeah. And the only problem ends up being that podcasts are hours and hours long. Right. You know, books are hundreds of pages. So when you try to distill it down to a, a half hour or an hour, you're missing so much. And podcast audiences are so sophisticated that they know everything that's missing. Right. They can argue all the points, the legal points that are that are glossed over. And so they don't do as well. They're not as satisfying. They're certainly not as satisfying as the great health smoothies I get from Daily Harvest. Oh no, they are not. <laughs> yeah. They are not as satisfying as the smoothies from Daily Be- Harvest. Because you know I don't have time to chop up fruits and vegetables and throw them into a smoothie. I'm just going to say right now, I cannot wait for you to read this promo code so I can write it down and order me some more Daily Harvest. I am missing my Daily Harvest, Kevin. You are. Well, well. Hand me a pen no, right no, no, no. now. How about I hand you this? <gasps> a Daily Harvest Kevin, smoothie. Daily Harvest smoothie. That's right. Daily Harvest sends superfood eats straight to my door with the choice of smoothies, activated breakfast bowls, or nice cream vegan sundae. So, okay, so I have here a uh, a cup. It's a like an eight plus ounce cup. Yeah, yeah it's and a inside, twelve ounce cup. Twelve ounce cup. Inside there are ingredients to make a smoothie. Uh, Rebecca. Big letters. What are the ingredients to the watermelon cucumber scoop? It's very transparent. Watermelon, cucumber, raspberry, coconut water, lime, chia, and sea buckthorn. I'll be honest. I don't know what sea buckthorn is. It doesn't matter because I promise That's you. That's C-S-E-A. From experience. That's a superfood. This yeah. smoothie is going to be de freaking licious Is there polysorbate 80 in this? Nope. Is there a yellow dye Bar, number seven? Gum? No. Yep. This is this is it. This is fantastic stuff. So each single serving cup comes, you know, ready to blend or heat. The cups are stored in your freezer, so ready when you want, and you just take some milk or coconut milk or, or water. Water. Put it in or almond milk. Yeah, put it in your blender. Or skim milk. <laughs> yeah, those are the milks, Rebecca. Thank you. 
That was helpful. Yak milk. They're, <laughs> they're You're pro- like Forrest Gump. Yeah, goddamn. Goat milk, uh, cat milk, whatever. Shrimp milk. Anything with nipples produces milk. We know that. Their produce is organic and unrefined, and it looks as amazing as it tastes. You know, take photos of it. Put it on I social media. love these smoothies. There's even a straw hole in the top of the cup. You pour from the blender back into the cup, and that cup becomes your serving cup. Look yeah. right there. There's a little straw a little hole pop, right yeah. on the top. It's amazing. It's Smoothie. a beautifully designed product. It's great. Go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CRIME, crime. and get three items free in I'm your first that. box. I'm doing it tomorrow. Yeah, promo code CRIME, crime for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. That's daily-harvest.com. I love me the Daily Harvest. What else you got, Kevin? Well, if uh, you're a, a small business person or large business person. Uh, I'm a small business person. Yeah. Have you tried to hire somebody lately? Uh, there's no room in this closet, but if there were, <laughs> I would. <laughs> in a heartbeat. Well, I can tell you, I was having a day job. Yes. It, it's hard out there to it find, is. you know, qualified workers are a problem. At my day job, it's very hard to find good people. It, it, it is. This is the kind of labor market we're in right now. Great unemployment's low, but it's tough for you if you're looking for qualified quality talent. So where do you go to that? You can go to a job board and hope that the right person finds the job. So the place to go is where people are going daily to grow professionally and explore job opportunities. And that's on LinkedIn. 70% of the U.S. workforce is there. That's the pond you want to be fishing in. Yep. Yeah, you already know LinkedIn is the world's largest professional network. Well, it's also the better way to find great talent. Just ask any of the hundreds of thousands of businesses who have posted to LinkedIn jobs over the past year. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn that's, every week. That's a lot. And a business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters. Yep. Especially if you're in a small business. Yep. Every person is super important. So don't settle for posting or hoping the right person will find your role and apply. You go to LinkedIn.com slash crime, crime and you'll get a $50 credit towards your first job post. LinkedIn, of course, I don't have to spell it, but I will anyway. L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N. LinkedIn.com slash crime. crime. Get a $50 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Can I just, before we move on, just mention one note that Toby sent me? Toby sent me so many notes about our content tonight that when I like wrote them down for this podcast, I just like was laughing as I was running my pencil along the page. Uh-huh. Two of them for what we were just talking about, one of them was... I honestly can't imagine ever wanting to watch Morrison again. <laughs> um, and Keith Morrison is a fucking lunatic. How does that saying go? Till death do us part. <laughs> <laughs> the way you said that. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's on NBC.com. It is. It. it is. So thank you, Toby. See, I, I had this weird vision while I was driving of <laughs> Keith Morrison and Nancy Grace dating. No. Oh. <laughs> You do not want to touch me there. <laughs> but do just, I? Just like imagining what the conversations would be. I can just imagine like Dunn disappeared doing a Keith Morrison. It's like the one person they didn't do in that season. It was Keith Morrison. Oh, my God. So good. So a good. A cake. Well, but is um, it really a cake? Speaking, speaking of delightful products that involve true crime for us to talk about Let's move on. Let's have our premiere conversation tonight about Atlanta Monster. Controversial, non-podcaster, Payne Lindsay is back 
This time teaming up with How Stuff Works for the podcast Atlanta Monster. This series looks at a series of kidnapping and murders of dozens of young black boys in Atlanta from 1979 to 1981. In 1982, Wayne Williams was tried and convicted of killing two victims, but not everyone believes that Williams was responsible for the Atlanta child murders. Now, last week we made a promise, and I will do my darndest to stick Mm -hmm. to it, that despite our history and feelings with and about Payne Lindsay's work and personality and self-promotion, we would listen to Atlanta Monster with open ears, open minds, and as the coach says on Friday Night Lights, open hearts. <laughs> so let's try to get that done. First, let's just discuss the case really quickly. Um, I certainly remember the Atlanta Child Murders case, the promos they play in the podcast. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? Mm-hmm. Those played in the TV market where I live, Kevin. I know we shared a TV market, so I play where you live, too. Uh, Toby Ball, I hate to call you out as the elder among us, but you are, in fact, the elder among us. Where were you at 10 o'clock? What do you remember about the Atlanta Child Murders? Like, What do you remember the, it being like when this case was unfolding in the media? This is when I was in graduate school. Um. That's not true. <laughs> wow, you're older than I thought. We were all like really silent for a second there. I was like, what? And I was like, hold on a second. Do you, do you really believe that I'm in my 80s? Um, we have to go back to what it was like in the 1970s. I, I know the saying, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? I didn't connect it to this case, but I do remember the case going on. Right. I think I was in middle school probably to the extent that you, you follow stuff like that in middle school. You know, it was sort of... In the media. Right. Well, I think when we all heard that um, our friend Payne Lindsay was going to be hosting this new podcast, we had expectations that were set with Up and Vanished, uh, the Tara Grinstead podcast, and his delivery style. I was surprised to hear right up front on episode one, and we should mention, by the way, that for our listeners who have not listened to this at all, who don't want to be spoiled and hear us hear the details, but just want to hear whether or not they should listen, we will put in the show notes where we're just going to give our thumbs up, thumbs down, listen or not. And you can fast forward to that timestamp right now. We can't really spoil it. We don't really know what's going on. That's true. We're only two episodes in. But just in case, just in case Mm -hmm. there are twists and turns. But you know what? Don't do that. Just go ahead and listen to this. But in case you don't, we'll put the the timestamp in there. I was really surprised to hear in the first episode, it really start with like a solid half hour of almost no pain, Lindsay. We hear these uh, the story of these two brothers who grew up in Atlanta at the time, like provided some color. We hear the historian who sort of gave the context of what was going on in the black community in Atlanta and how this case affected the community. Um, and we hear from this brother of one of the victims of the Atlanta child murders. Uh, Laura, what did you hear about all these voices that we hear right at the top of this series who, you know, provide some credibility to the story that we're about to be led through you know i was i i I think um surprised that we didn't start off with more pain lindsay of course once we i'll get to that once we get to pain lindsay all i could hear was john david booter and (laughs) i I just i couldn't handle it it's hard not to right and and i was like did he always sound like this did i forget this anyway um but you know leading into this i i thought it was really interesting in terms of the context of the time that this was happening and people that you know were were good sources that were good voices to put a window into that time as to you know what it felt like to be there and and what it felt like to be involved and also the racial element to what was going on and that was a very big role and 
And so I, I thought that it dragged for me at points, like the reporter and me wanted like a nut graph, like right. what's going on? What's happening? Who's here? Where are we going? Yeah. And, and, and to be clear, what you're talking about is they never said what the child murders were, how many children were murdered. And in what time period? They were no details at all, right? Not until much later. And it was like, so we just have these guys. And they were interesting to listen to. But I was just like, okay, what are we going to get to what this is about? Now, Toby, there's a lot of tape. Some really, really good. Some, you know, not as good. What did you think of this first episode, how it was organized and how we're brought into the story with all these other characters and not just a narrative of what we're about to hear and what the story actually is? You know, I thought what they were trying to do was kind of interesting, which is to sort of give a sense of what it felt like to be there at the time when you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on and, and kids are disappearing and it just seems mysterious and scary. I agree with, with Laura that it would have been helpful to have like a little bit of context because it, to me, you know, knowing enough about what happened, it was easy to put everything in context. But I kept thinking like if you, if you really didn't know much about what happened, would any of this kind of make sense? Mm. It seemed like it was a little all over the place. Like yeah. It wasn't. Most of the stuff I thought was interesting, but it could have really, I think, with like two minutes worth of of tying things together or, or providing the context. And it, it didn't even have to be narration. I'm sure that you could find a piece of, of news footage or something from the time that would, would kind of describe what was happening. So I kind of felt like that contextualization was missing. Yeah. So, Kevin, the production quality, the quality of the field audio itself. Good, right? You mean the interviews? Interview audio. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, I think, maybe have quibbles with the structure of the story because yeah, we, we rely on a host or narrator to tell us what it is, mm-hmm. why it is, what it is we're going to hear. We get very little of that at first. The only thing we kind of get is Payne saying, I didn't know anything about this, but my business partner mentioned it and it made me interested. Is he playing? No, you also get the... I didn't know what to do, so I just brought my camera and went there and didn't know what I would find. Right. Is it? Is he playing dumb or is he dumb? Like, what, which one do you think I, I it don't is? know. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I, I don't I don't even mean, mean is that. he being, like, folksy, like, gee shucks, is, is or he, he trying really to do, a valley girl? Is he trying to do that thing where he's like, I don't know anything about this, and I'm going to assume you don't, too? So Because I, I think the audio, the field yeah. audio we hear is smarter than mm-hmm. that narration. Yeah. It yeah. feels like the interviews are bipolar, good. Look, right? Look, yeah. Like, I... I'm going to preface all this by saying I really wanted Atlanta Monster to either be really good or really bad. Right. So I could talk about it. And for me, it's kind of like in the middle. And, I, you know, I, I wish I had a thumb sideways because I probably would eventually wind up there. It's just I wanted to be able to come on and be like, I'm a big man and I'm going to give Payne Lindsay credit for doing a good thing job and it's just it's so middling and this is why to me the stories of the individuals are interesting but they are just left to go on and on and on without any curation they're not curated at or all narration well yeah narration that makes or any, sense. any way to sort of edit and take control of it if this were like in a book like all these quotes like the i forget the guy's name but the marine uh from the, the brother fir- of one of the, the brother victims. one of the victims yeah, yeah. like his whole story uh about his brother going missing and the bear was really interesting and really compelling. But if you were to read it on a page, it would just look like a transcription. Mm-hmm. There's no other authorial 
shaping to it. And it's not his fault. That's what, I mean, he did a very good job you telling can decide, the story. Look, you can decide to get out of the way of the story. Right. But it ended up being such that it seemed like it rambled on without any shaping to it. Right. And I just felt like, you know, in using entire television news packages, mm. like all of the audio, it just felt like they were padding the episode to get to the second commercial break. It just felt like if You mean it, episode one. In episode one. Episode two was very different to me than episode yeah, one. Yes. It was more structured. It was more structured that you know, the characters were more engaging. I don't know what how stuff works is is contributing. If Payne Lindsay is the talent on the show there should be some producers around that can handle the talent and make him better. Right. And I don't know who's writing, and it just he sounds like he's reading a okay. book report. You went way ahead of me What did there. I ask? Yeah. No, I but that, yeah. that's fine. That's everything I have to say. No, that's, no, that's fine. If we're tipping hands, I'll tip mine. This podcast has some compelling and interesting and good and beautifully produced moments. It does. And then the minute Payne Lindsay... Or that dopey ass techno music comes in. Oh, the music! New, 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 it's new, mixed new, new. poorly. I know, and this is what I mean. I love the idea of using synth music. I love the idea we're in the Stranger Things era, like mm-hmm. Stranger Things, Blade Runner inspired music. Let's just listen for a second to the way a very, very good interview is presented in this podcast with this dopey ass music. Hit play on that, Kevin. There were a thousand searches all over the city. One place was Red Wine Road in South Fulton County. If you go there today, it's right off 285. There's a huge shopping center with a Target. Okay, Kevin, pull up the other clip there. All right, so here we are again with the Stranger Things sort of idea. Mm -hmm. Kids biking. Yeah. What we do with videotapes is a little different from what we do with print materials. The videotapes will have to go into coolers because they need to be acclimated from the cold, dry environment. When they move upstairs, it's a little warmer and a lot more. Nobody uh, cares about this. Yeah. Why? Why? I mean, I mean, <laughs> the, and the, but what's missing is we now know, Laura, as you said in your note to me, we know where all of these TV packages that we're hearing came from, right? Because we know it's not easy. You used yeah. to work in TV, Kevin. To get TV yeah. tape from 1980 is not yeah. easy. No, a lot of that's on film. Some of that just degrades. It's not around. Was there a minute where Payne Lindsay himself told us as the narrator, I wanted to get a sense of what the media was like around this. So I found the people who were holding this in a vault and I went, it was none of that. No, it was the dumb ones. I needed to find out what it was like in 1970. Every time he talks about, like, (laughs) his age or, like, that he didn't know. Like, oh, my goodness. I was surprised to learn about the trend of psychics in the 1980s it just he just loses all gravitas <laughs> right right but but you know? laura but laura do you agree with me that like as far as like a piece of tape goes that thing we just said the second piece of tape we just heard i mean the first one mm-hmm. as my 16 year old son pointed out is like the scene in the social network where um justin timberlake uh is in the club <laughs> trying as as the guy who invented napster napster you know talking to mark zuckerberg and like the music is super loud and they have to scream because they can't hear each other and my son was like yeah but in that movie it was cool because they were in a club but i'm just listening to a podcast why can't i hear that guy this one yeah. is just like we're hearing this interesting tape about the this guy talking about preserving this TV tape, but why? We're never told why. Why he's preserving it or why this like loud music is overshadowing everything. Why? Why? Why any of it? (laughs) 
why I think, well, you know what it is? I think that they are trying very hard to look. I mean, this was my sense as I was listening to this. And I was like, oh, instead of hearing Atlanta child killer, I'm thinking of the little Stranger Things kids biking around right now. And I was like, okay, so they're looking at something that was recently successful that recreated the feeling of the 80s. And they're trying to implement that and and use that in the podcast format. But to a point that was just so overdone, like if that had been lightly in the background, it might have been a different story. But it was like the first one, like I was sitting here at my desk kind of like rocking out I'm like wow that's I didn't realize when I was listening to that in my car just quite how loud that was right so I I feel like they're trying too hard to be cool right I mean that that's what I took away from it well I the other thing that I really want to talk about here is the writing the writing for pain in particular I don't know who's doing it and I don't know who's editing it and I don't know who is in my newsroom and even in our podcast world in the closet in our basement We write things for audio. We read them. And even with my stupid show about HGTV, I will play the tracks out loud that I've read and edited and recorded for you, Kevin. And you'll say, yeah, I would cut this, this and this, go back and re-record this and just say this. And we'll like have an editing process. It doesn't really seem to be it's either not present or they're just trying to write so much for Payne's voice that we're not actually getting kind of what we need and you know what I, I don't know if I'd be so hard on it if it, this thing just sounded bad if it didn't feel like it had potential but um Toby what do you think of of the way the narration in this show is is written for pain in particular yeah I don't think it's really doing him any favors you know there's just a few things that kind of uh, stood out to me in the in the first episode where he doesn't he doesn't do a ton of talking but then when he does it's always kind of like a head scratcher like it would it would just kind of stop me for a second and I'd be like did I like blank out for a few seconds and mm-hmm. not and miss something or is there is there some aspect that that I'm not understanding there was a point at which he was talking to this woman named Kalinda and she was talking about changes in the African American community in the you know late 70s early 80s and about how there's a little bit more wealth in the community, race relations were a little bit better. And then Payne Lindsay says she describes an atmosphere of fear and hopelessness. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? And then she goes and starts talking about the fear and hopelessness in, involved with the, the disappearances. But it's just like, there's just like a disconnect. The transition is not there. Like all he had to do was say, but. Right. You know, but she also describes... And then there was another thing where he, he's like, even up in North Carolina, he heard about these killings. And it's like, <laughs> it's not like there's a town crier who's like yelling that from Atlanta that you can barely hear in North Carolina. It's on the news. He talks about it being like the big national story later. Yeah. So I I, I don't know. I, I don't want to be too harsh. I think he reveals a lot of, of his weaknesses as yeah. a journalist or as a storyteller. Um, Or even just as, I I can't imagine, like, reading a high school essay. It's tough, because I think that it's a disservice to journalism. I mean, we've gotten, I have gotten a couple of emails about this podcast basically repeating other outlets reporting, which, you know... It's, it's a valid criticism. So far, two episodes but in. I but I actually yeah. haven't read like other outlets reporting, yeah. so I can't speak to that. I can say that's a valid criticism. I can also say that this is audio, so it's a new version of reporting. But there's a problem when you have clips 
where someone says something and then the narrator says something that either invalidates or makes sound stupid the thing the person just said. Play this clip for me about one moment in episode two that really stuck out to me. Popcorn dealt with all the records and files in the FBI. And just like Mike McComas, he stressed the importance of a composite sketch they received early on in their investigation from a kid who told police that a man had tried to abduct him. Well, it was a black male with bushy hair. I remember the composite sketch very well. After interviewing the kid, they were able to form a detailed sketch of the suspect, a black male with bushy hair. <laughs> is that telescoped or is that... That's exactly that, how it aired no in the podcast. There's no edit in that? Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's exactly how it aired in the podcast. What is wrong with that, Kevin? It's, it's called an echo lead where it's you also say inaccurate. exactly the same thing that... It's also inaccurate because the guys basically said... All we knew was a sketch of a black man with bushy hair. And then Payne Lindsay says it was a detailed sketch. Oh, detailed sketch. Of a black man and with, with bushy, bushy hair. hair. Yeah, it doesn't seem really it's like It's like they're not listening to the clips they're planning to play when they write the narration. Or they've written the narration before and then changed the audio. It's very mm-hmm. hard to figure out what the editing process is here. It is. It is. You know, and also, like, at the end of the first episode... It finally declares itself as what Atlanta Monster is, and it says it's an investigative podcast. Right. We're two episodes in, and we never, we don't, still don't have a sense of what exactly are are you investigating? (laughs) What aspect of this? (laughs) Because it, look at Slow Burn isn't an investigative podcast in Watergate. It is a historical look back and different things. Now, is that what Atlanta Monster is? Or if it's going to be, well, we're going to look deeper into who actually killed some of these kids. Right. It has yet to say that. Right. And so, like, what is, you know, what is your raison d'etre of this podcast? Yeah, it's almost like there is this idea that Payne is going to discover things. But the things he is discovering are things that other people in the podcast are just saying out loud. Uh, Here's a good example of that. Popcorn and McComas both mentioned FBI profilers. The people who formulate an idea of who the killer is, who the FBI should be looking for. And there was one characteristic that stood out to me immediately. It had to be a black guy. So, <laughs> this is this What's is a, happening. This is <laughs> now, Laura. This is a great example because the, what he's trying to do here, what the story is trying to do, there's a weakness in this investigation. Now, I don't know a ton about the Atlanta child murders. I remember them happening. I remember the case, and I know the guys in prison for it. The only thing I know that's controversial about that guy's conviction, the only thing I know as a lay person who doesn't know anything about this, is that the cops profiled and the FBI profiled and said it had to be a black guy. And they arrested and convicted a black guy and basically closed off investigation of any other kinds of suspects. And that comes up in the podcast. But the way Payne voices that, even though... We have eight people on the podcast saying they were only looking at black guys, as he says. There's one thing that stuck out to me, as if he just discovered that. Laura, what do you think they're investigating here? So I, I don't think I think they need to. They're branding this the wrong way because this this is not. I mean, not to. I don't consider this an investigative podcast. I I consider this like a look back at the Atlanta child case and the impact it had on the area. Like it's kind of like a reflection podcast. I I mean, I I don't know. Although there was one part when Payne said, "I didn't know what I was going to do, so I thought I would just go out and start talking to people." And I brought my recorder conveniently or whatever it was. So you know, 
I, I don't know, because I feel like right now what kind of the MO of this podcast is so far, which I mean, we have really we have interesting people, but we have interesting people who lived during the time or had a connection to the case, reflecting on what it was like to be involved in the case. And we have news clips interspersed in between these people. And then we have, is it just me? Because I it was a long time ago when I listened to Up and Vanish, but has his voice always been like that? Or was John David Booter just such a great um, influence on your thinking? It, or did he just do Payne Lindsay so well that now I cannot even hear Payne Lindsay? I just hear John David Booter because every time he goes to talk now, I feel like, oh my God, does he really talk like this? Yeah. It's both. It, it's 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 really something. With up, with up and Vanish, it was the plucky, gee whiz, I'm a young guy and I'm just, I have the audacity to go out and do this thing. And so you're rooting for him and it's kind of like, It didn't okay. sound like he was trying to read and up and doesn't sound like yeah. Well, this isn't really in this podcast. Yeah. It sounds like he's trying to read, and it doesn't sound like he's good at reading. Like not, not. Yeah. I mean, no. I think that's what it, it is. sounds like. I mean, the, yeah. and, and you, you know, know no, I know what you mean. You don't mean illiterate. Really forcing it when he reads it, like choose the correct devices using the drop down controls. Like it's yes. just like too. Yeah, yeah. There are but, some people that are good on air talent, and there are people that are good producers. And I don't. I, I, he's just not an he's not an exceptional on air talent. Now, Toby, I, I actually do think what they're going for here, and we heard a clip at the end of episode two that hints at it, is they are going to look at the, the potential uh, that they arrested and convicted the wrong guy for the child murders, Wayne Williams, because we hear tape of ostensibly Payne uh, getting interview tape of that guy in prison, right? I mean, don't you think that's where they're going with this? I guess. I mean, I, th- I think they hinted a little bit at it, maybe. And maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but when they talked about the guy who called in and said that and told them where they could find a body and said that next body would be a white kid. And do you remember that part? I yeah. do. Yep. And then there's like, well, maybe it was a copycat. And so I, I don't know, I, you know, it, it potentially like looking at the edges and, and thinking that there's more than one person working or I, I don't know. They, they've got to do something. It's like eight episodes long, right? Yeah, yeah. We've, we've got two episodes and they've captured them. Well, so there's got there's got to be something there. And again, it's like, who who's doing the writing? So uh, another thing that kind of stuck out to me was when, you know, they, they find the two bodies and then like down the slope, there's this Playboy magazine. Mm-hmm. And Payne's like, well, it seemed like an open and shut case. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? Are you seriously? Like, that's you as an open and shut case? Yeah. It's like just on the face of it, there's no connection between like somebody who gets some kind of sexual payoff from killing young boys is probably not going to then go and pick up a Playboy. Right. Like down the slope and then just leave it there. Right. It was that kind of thing. And, it, and it's disappointing because the... I thought the rest of episode two, I thought was it was both interesting and I think pretty well done. And especially the part where they're talking about actually capturing Wayne right. Williams. I yeah. thought was mm-hmm. I, I thought they did a really good job of it was sort of like an action scene in a podcast, yeah. which I, I imagine is more difficult than it seems. And I, th- I found it pretty compelling. This is my like real problem with this whole thing. The parts that are good are really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then there are parts like the parts when where Payne bad, Lindsay horrid. is talking about the he's like he's like pretending like he is the first person to ever notice something that happened. Mm-hmm. And then the things that he says that he notices are ridiculous. Like when he says 
he was able to discern a pattern. Play that clip, Kevin. The FBI, along with local police, were not convinced they were dealing with a serial killer. But as the death toll of black children was growing, they began to recognize similarities in the murders. It would start with a child going missing for days, weeks, and sometimes even months. Yeah, that's the pattern. (laughs) (laughs) The pattern is children are missing and murdered, and you know it's a pattern because it starts with... A child going missing. I'm sure all the cops who worked on the case were like, oh, thanks for that. If only we had noticed the pattern that kids were going missing for days or weeks or even. That is the stuff. It makes me. I think it's okay, like for a podcast, like you want to sometimes the narrator, you want to make it his or her journey. We're following his journey. Think, think serial. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's OK. And they give their thoughts and their observations. But when the observations are so pedantic. It's like you almost want to say, okay, step out of the way. And again, it's like I, I, I really don't want to just take cheap shots at Payne Lindsay, but he really, he, you know, he's got some quality material to work with. And I don't know. I mean, Toby, you asked who's doing the writing. I don't know. Listen to the credits. There's nobody listed in the credits. We have more people listed in our credits here. The music guy is listed. The, in the music credits. guy, Johann, and that's it. Johan Johannesburg. <laughs> <laughs> So, I, you know, I don't know who is responsible, you know, who takes ultimate responsibility for the script and for the way the, the clips are edited and for the overall direction of the podcast. It doesn't say, I guess we have to assume it's Payne Lindsay. Kevin, I have one um, pop quiz item for you. Yeah. I, as I mentioned a second ago, there are parts of this podcast, I'm listening to it today and I'm like, this is really good. This is really good. And then something happens where I'm just like, Ugh, now I'm 100% out of it. I need to get back in again. Quiz, what is wrong with this clip? Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. I will call this Is not available. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hey, Mike. My name is Payne Lindsay. I'm currently doing a documentary project about the Atlanta child murders that happened in the early 80s. I'm looking for the Mike McComas that was working for the FBI at the time. On the All right, Kevin, what is wrong with this part of the podcast? Okay, well, let's see. Why is it that we can hear the incoming voicemail message and the outgoing <laughs> voicemail message sounds like it's on the other end? Is it possibly because that was, I don't want to say faked, but it recreated? Was, it was an audio trick. It, it was, was an audio stupid, trick. I mean, unnecessary. maybe you'll say the way that they hooked up this, the studio is that that's the only way. They can no. only get the audio no. off of that. Bullshit. I call bullshit. I don't know. Yeah. They, instead, of, instead of just saying Draw cleanly, your own conclusion. Instead of saying cleanly, we got to talk to an FBI guy who yeah, was in this case. Why, why which, by the that? way, why is you... a great. Like, it's like, oh, they have FBI. Yeah. That would have been I impressive. Was, I was really surprised by the FBI guys participating, quite honestly. It was great, I, right? I found, Weren't they yeah, great? Yeah, because I, I found, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like federal agents are really hard, I think, to get to talk for something like this. Um, and, and these ones are long since retired, but I thought that was a pretty big coup. So I was glad to hear their voices. I, I rolled my eyes at it because, again, I thought it was unnecessary. And that's what everybody accused him of in the previous podcast was faking telephone calls right. and re-editing them. And I'm that's sorry. Just, that was not the message he left for him. Yeah, if he just, did, we would have heard his mic to end of it. We would have heard. It would have sounded clear on his end. Right. On the recording. Yeah. And and it just is a it's a cheap effect that you can do in audition. You pull down the menu. It's a preset to make it sound like it just is lazy. 
And it's also unnecessary. Complete. The whole thing, again, I just felt like this was added because you had to get to 45 minutes. Maybe. It just felt like a school essay that you just kept saying, this is very, 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 very important. Yeah. Well, Toby, um, you know, one of the things that Payne does is he talks about the victims at the end of episode one, the 30 victims on the list, which, by the way, he never actually says what the list is. He just says their names weren't on the list. And I think we're like, supposed to assume we know. What list? <laughs> what list are we talking about? It's the kind of expedition I actually want. I want to hear there was an official victims list. Yeah. And if your name was on it, you were an official victim. And if it wasn't, you weren't. We never get that. We just hear there's a list. What do you think of Payne reading the names of these 30 victims in this case? I get what he was after. I do think that there's a certain power to reading the names of the people who are missing or killed or whatever, just seeing the the, the enormity of what what happened. I I don't know if he just doesn't have the voice for it, or I, I guess maybe if I ne- if I hadn't known who he was or whatever, maybe it would have felt different. But in that, it just seemed like grandstanding a little mm, bit. Yeah, that's just my take. And I and I don't want to again. I I feel kind of shitty. Like it's just like piling on whatever he did as far as like assembling clips, especially for episode two. If that was stuff that he did, that went really well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, credit credit where it's due. But, you know, I, again, I, I kind of just feel like the stuff where he's talking, including that bit, is just it, it's not well thought through. Yeah. Well, it's mixed. Sounds like we're all mixed. So why don't we do that thing we do and let our listeners know? What do we think? Should they check out Atlanta Monster from Tenderfoot TV slash Payne Lindsay? How Stuff Works. It is the number one podcast on the charts as of this recording. Should our listeners check it out? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to give you a break, Laura Bricker. Toby Ball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start with you. Toby Ball, what do you think? Okay, as, as I said, I don't, I don't even know if the mic picked it up when that guy was talking about how they preserve film, and I said, no one cares about this. <laughs> um, I think there was stuff, that, there was definitely filler you know, some stories that went on long and then the stuff where pain is a presence didn't work out so well. But I think for the most part, especially the second episode, I really enjoyed the second episode. I, and I, I find that even even the pain stuff, even if it's annoying, it, it's not so annoying that it sort of overwhelms uh, the other things. So if we reviewed this after the first episode, I would have probably wavered, but I thought the second episode was really strong for about 80% of it. Mm. Um, so I think I, I think I probably will keep listening in, in the hopes that, you know, it continues in the in the vein of the second. So I would give it a, it's not even like a qualified thumbs up. I mean, I would give it sort of the the B thumbs up. A hesitant thumbs up. <laughs> a grade and it's a not, thumbs it's not, up. But it's not it's super hesitant. Up. Like, I think there's a lot of really worthwhile stuff in okay. it. Okay. You just have to wade through a little bit of stuff that's less worthwhile. All right. Laura Bricker, what about you? You're up. Thumbs up or thumbs down on Atlanta Monster? Well, yeah. I, I feel a lot like Toby. Like, I, you know, if it wasn't, uh, if we didn't have all the background with, like, Payne Lindsay, and also if I hadn't just listened to Dunn Disappeared and just, like, I couldn't stop laughing every time he talked because I'm like, God, he sounds just like, you know, the John David Booter thing just was very distracting to me. 
um, because it was just such a perfect, perfect impersonation. I don't know anything about this case prior to this. So I mean, I was like three, I lived in Vermont, we had no TV. So it's an interesting case. And I think there are a lot of voices sounding in that are going, hopefully, that, that are good people, like the FBI people, that's interesting. So I, don't, I guess I'll give it like a medium thumbs up. Mm. Because I think give it give it a try. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And that's the hard part, because it's not all good and all bad. It's not like I'm like, oh, this sucks. I'm not listening to this again. It's like, no, there's there's some good content there. You just have to kind of get past um, the Stranger Things music and mm-hmm. the like, very earnest, overly staged narration that's going on. Now, it's my turn, right? Yeah. I'm. This is really hard. It's hard. I told you, Kevin, right before we taped this podcast, I didn't know, didn't what, know what I you, was yeah. going to say. I've listened to all of you, and I've listened to myself, and here's where I've landed. Of course, if this podcast, the narration were well-written, even if the narration were in the same place as it is, and we needed more exposition and didn't get it, but the narration was smart and you know well-written, and there was some editing, and it didn't sound so jolly, golly, gee whiz, I didn't know, blah, 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 I would say, you know, thumbs up. It's interesting enough. I just keep thinking... Like, I think a lot of our listeners would like this. And I, and I, in my, my review here is not don't listen. My review is really based on the fact that if I were eating an apple and there were a worm in the last bite, I wouldn't say that was a really good apple except for the worm in the last bite. I would say there was a worm in my fucking apple. So I can't, (laughs) I can't do a thumbs up. I can't, even though. 80% of this is actually pretty good. I can't do it because the parts that are bad make me want to stab myself in the eye with a fork. That's how I feel about it. I I just, and it's hard, I know. And I just want to say to our listeners, like, I am acknowledging I have baggage. I tried. I was pleasantly surprised by 80% of what I heard. I really was. The voices in this podcast are compelling. The story is worthwhile. The case is worth looking at again. The racial elements are fantastically interesting, relevant right now in our America right now. There are so many things about this case that are being brought to bear that are interesting and cool and worth hearing. The parts of it that suck, suck real bad. And that's not enough for me to bring it to thumbs up. So I'm sorry. Thumbs down for me. Was it Longfellow who did like, you know, when she was good, she was very, very good. And when she was bad, she was horrid. (laughs) Uh, That kind of reminds me where you're going there. So, uh, look, I know we have like some of our coolest listeners are tweeting and Facebooking to us saying they like this. And there are many that are from the area. I don't judge people for liking it. No, no, no. That's fine. I've never said you shouldn't. Because no, I like or but don't this like. this in should, particular, I feel no. that way. It's actually pretty good. The parts that are good are good. The parts that are good are good. Right. Like I, and again, I really wanted to be able to come on and to say, "Hey, I'm a uh, you know I'm the bigger man or whatever," and to say, "Look, uh, yeah, I will admit it. He's got a good podcast going here." And you know, I didn't want to say, "Oh yeah, it's again, it's Wikipedia Brown in the case of the Atlanta monster again," but I just. It's it's not a thumbs way down for me, but it is a thumbs down. I mean, I think that this really could have used a better polish yeah. and maybe emulated more of what This American Life and Radiolab does with long pieces of audio. Just because you have a compelling story, don't let someone go on for three straight minutes about their life without doing some kind of 
balance and editing it and whatnot. It just it ends up taking a, a good story and making it run on mm. and get boring. And it just it's too bad because it really has you know such good source material. And as far as all the raw material, it's there for an interesting story. I don't know. I, episode two was better than episode one. I have a feeling that episode three will be better than episode two, and we'll find out more about where he wants to go. Can I just which he should have said question? right in the beginning. Yeah. Do you think this was a project that Payne Lindsay was tapped for because of the success of his previous podcast? That there are good people working on it. They pulled him in to narrate because they knew it would be successful if he was in it. Or do you think? I mean, do you think that this is a good project that's being dragged down by Payne Lindsay? Or do you think this is Payne Lindsay who accidentally created a good project that he's unfortunately attached to? Uh, I, I don't know. The only thing, the only clue I have is that there's nobody else listed in the credits. Right, right. Which just makes me feel like well, there's how stuff works. Yes, but who at how stuff works? Yeah. Who's the script supervisor? Yeah, Who's yeah. the executive producer? Yes. Who who is the researcher? The fact checker? Who's, yes. Or who any is of the that fact stuff? checker? For God's sake, who is the line checker? editor? Is yes. he like putting this all together himself? There's yes. nobody. Everybody benefits from having a partner or an editor or somebody going over and pointing out your weaknesses. Yeah. Don't say that. That pain. Yeah. That's grammatically incorrect. Hey, Paul McCartney was great with John Lennon, but you put him by himself and he writes Wonderful Christmas Time and shit like that. Yeah, but Wings had some good songs too. Yeah, but who's gonna but here's the problem who's gonna look at Paul McCartney and say, Paul, that's a shitty song? Could be like, Really? I'm Paul McCartney. <laughs> same look, the same thing happens to Stephen Wait, King. Are you saying that Who Payne can, Lindsay is the Paul McCartney no, of podcasting? I'm, I am certainly not. <laughs> Please. Not, no, I get uh, Everybody benefits from having an editor. And and so I don't know. When I heard all the the archived audio, I thought, oh, this is where How Stuff Gets Done. What is it called again? How Stuff Works. How Stuff Works came in that they're like, oh, this is this is the support that we're bringing to this. Right. I don't know. Just I mean, I, I think that it's it has a lot of it's rough thumbs edges. Down. It's, thumbs down. It's, a, it's a thumbs down. But, you know, like I'm not it's it. It didn't put me to sleep. Yeah. You know, certainly not the way that Brooklyn and Sheets uh, helps me slide off to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brooklyn and Sheets. Brooklyn and was founded in April 2014 by a husband and wife team. It's uh, Vicky and Rich Fulop, and they have I love the, them. Yeah, they have the philosophy that people deserve simple, beautiful home essentials. They're right. Without luxury prices. They were in some hotel, I think it was in Vegas, and they were like... You're just making that up. It wasn't I'm Vegas. not making... No, no, I'm not making it up. <laughs> they were in Vegas. They, they were, were in a Hoboken. hotel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they were at a Motel 6, and they're like, damn these sheets. And they're like, everybody should have sheets this good, and how do you get them without like getting too, too expensive? Well, that's how... Brooklyn and was born. They're the fastest growing betting brand in the world. And because people love these products, they have over 12,000 five-star reviews. I know that Toby gave them five stars. You love your Brooklyn and Sheets, right, my friend? I do love my Brooklyn and Sheets. They're pretty much, they come off, they get washed, and they're back on the same day. You don't have plan B sheets, right? You don't have a second pair of sheets. You have the one pair that you just rotate in and out. Yeah, the, the plan B sheets are like actually like plan R at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's Something time to terrible invest. has to happen. It's like that backup parachute. We now just I know what just I'm getting case. Toby for yeah. his birthday. So in a second set of Brooklyn and Sheets. Yeah, there you it, go. It's luxury bedding underpriced. You have to try these sheets. We love our Brooklyn and Sheets so much. We know you're going to love them too. Brooklyn and has an exclusive offer just for our listeners. I swear to God, it's just for us. All right. You get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code CRIME, Crime. at brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 
60-night satisfaction guarantee, and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. A lifetime warranty on sheets. That's incredible. It is. It is. It is. There's no reason not to give these sheets a try. There's no reason not to give them a try. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code CRIME Crime. at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code CRIME. Crime. Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. You know, we had people saying on Twitter this week that they try to say crime at the same time I say crime, and that's a game they play and listen to our podcast. I hope it's a drinking game. Crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, beginning Tuesday, January 23rd at 10, 9 central. (gasps) Is this a TV show advertising on our podcast? It is. (gasps) WGN America premieres your next addicting mystery thriller. Tell me. The new original series, Bellevue, starring Academy Award winner Anna Paquin. Ooh. Of course, you remember Sookie Stackhouse. I love me some Anna Paquin. The piano for which she won her Academy Award. Well, now now Anna plays Annie Ryder, a detective in the small town of Bellevue, where a transgender teen has gone missing. Everyone in town is a suspect. That sounds very good. Yeah, these are the people that Annie's known her entire life, and now she's going to have to investigate them all. Meanwhile, the strange riddles and clues Annie keeps receiving make the case even creepier. Hmm. Are they connected? Is someone from her troubled past messing with her? Are you Keith Morrison? (laughs) 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 We're just going to have to watch to find out. The series also stars Alan Leach from Downton Abbey. He was the uh, the Irish one, the good looking one. The chauffeur who married the youngest daughter? Yes. Who then died and then he became like the son of the family? Yeah, somehow they like hated him at first and they accepted him with a million dollar, never mind. It's it's good. The, The critics are raving that Bellevue is original, ambitious and it stands apart. Plus, Anna Paquin is gloriously good. She's a great actress. So don't miss the series premiere of Bellevue, Laura. It's Tuesday. I won't. January 23rd at 10, <laughs> 9 central on WGN America, home to the most scripted crime shows on cable. When is that our DVR for that? Yeah, or you can go to WGNAmerica.com to find the channel in your area. So don't miss the series premiere of Bellevue, Tuesday, January 23rd at 10, 9 central on WGN America. We get crime. I kind of feel like we've grown up now that we have a TV show sponsoring our podcast. Now it's time for a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. An Englishman is in recovery after a terrible assault. One he did to himself. Ooh. The man tried to stifle a sneeze by pinching his nose and closing his mouth. With nowhere else for that building pressure to go, the man ruptured his own Throat. Oh my God! The esophageal oh explosion also caused damage to the 34-year-old's chest and lungs, and he was hospitalized for seven oh. days. They like blew up from the inside. Unable to eat or swallow food. The man's case of the booger blow-up was recently published in the British Medical Journal. Physicians say a sneeze moves at 150 miles per hour, so do not hold it in. Despite what your mom says, you should loudly sneeze. Just do it into a handkerchief. Or, as we all know now, do it into the crook of your elbow, right? Like a vampire. That's right. (laughs) So, panel, your mom told you to cover your mouth when you sneeze. And she was wrong, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) But what other health-related taboo that your mom taught you to do or not do, do you break with regularity? I'm going to start with you, Laura Bricker. This isn't necessarily something my mom told me not to do, but I know I shouldn't be doing this. Um, I have been using the tap water in my neti pot, despite the warnings (laughs) about the brain amoeba. (laughs) And 
I am like, just like I, every time I do it, I think I'm biding my time yep. before the brain amoeba comes to get me. Yeah. So yeah. There you Laura, go. you're not alone. I tap water in my neti pot too. I'm all cool with my brain being eaten as long as I can breathe. Toby Ball, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm usually super obedient. So I don't know. You know, sometimes I drink beers when I'm taking antibiotics. So I know you're not supposed to. <laughs> Well, I'll say one of the things that I do, um, and I'm sorry to anyone on this panel or any of our listeners who are completely disgusted by this, I don't understand and I don't get the whole putting paper down on the toilet seat in public restrooms. Oh, you don't need to. I don't know what disease you can contract through the skin on your fatty, fatty ass, (laughs) but I just never do that. I just don't do it. I can't do it. I think it's stupid. I just sit. I don't hover. I just sit right down on the seat and... You know, I've lived to this age, 44. So far, no ass disease is coming my way. What about you, Kevin? I, I actually did a, 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 seri- a, a radio news series yeah. about that, Do about you need medical to cover myths. Toilet, the toilet that was seat? one of the things. And the, the doctors say, you know, so long as your skin is unbroken, yeah. that you get sit on the toilet, you're not going to catch anything. Yeah, from sitting on a toilet yeah, seat. Yeah, there was all these myths. And it was like, you know, that you'll go blind if you read in dark light. <laughs> you, you'll strain your eyes, but. <laughs> that's just- not where I thought you were going. Oh, you really thought- Yeah, that's a myth, too. <laughs> What about you, Kevin? What advice did that your mom taught you? Do you not heed with regularity? Uh, flossing. Yeah. Fuck that noise. You know, it doesn't floss. really I floss work. Floss a lot. If you I get something stuck, I'll go get it. Yeah. But just you know, telling you you should floss. It'll change your I, life. I, I've heard studies. Ad hoc flossing. Yeah. It's it's flossing is fun. It gets all the gunk out. It's really fun. No, it isn't. Uh, Laura Bricker, before we wrap it up, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do. And you got to bear with me. It's a good story. I have to read it to you. We, our cat of the week is Elgato. Um, it's <laughs> Vanessa Kinsey's cat. Do you know about this cat? No, it's just funny what you said. No, but that's Spanish for cat. Okay. Well, I didn't take Spanish. I took Latin. So anyway, <laughs> he has recently been through quite an ordeal. So I look at the picture of the little tabby cat and I go, oh, that's sad. But then I read on because more tweets came. On January 1st, two weeks ago today, my house burned to the ground. No. My husband, two dogs, and I got out safely. As soon as we were out, I screamed, the cat, where's Elgato? My hubby bravely reentered the house to retrieve our beloved 12-year-old feline. Soon my husband, at Jeremy B. Good, was outside with Elgato in his arms, but this was one unhappy cat, and he wiggled his way out of Jeremy's arms and bolted into a billowing smoke cloud. It gets better. At this point, we had no idea where he had gone, but we had gotten him out of the house, so at least he had a chance. The rest of the day was a blur of flames and smoke and firemen running all over my property. The house was a total loss. It was traumatizing, but I wanted to know where my beloved kitty was. At the end of the day, after the last fire truck left, we searched for Elgato, but to no avail. The low was about seven degrees that night. This story better have and a good ending, Laura. I'm it, just saying. It's, it's, it's building up to suspense here. Right. Although Elgato was an indoor-outdoor cat, I knew it was too cold. I was worried he wouldn't make it. The next day, unbeknownst to us, our neighbors combed through our five acres looking for Elgato, and they found him. Oh. He had hidden under a gazebo and braved the cold night, and they were reunited. So... A friend of hers recently noted that Elgato is no longer a regular cat. He survived fire and ice, so now he's a hashtag dire cat. Oh. Wow. He's also on Valium now because of the trauma, <laughs> but he, he's alive. So that's an amazing story. I'm very happy for Elgato because I always love it when I see cats getting rescued from fires and the firemen carrying them out. But this was that was a tale. Now, so. Laura, as the wife of a fire chief, you will you say to our listeners, like, and with, like, actual advice, like, 
do not run back into your house after your cat if it's burning down, right? No. No, and and honestly, what he has told me is that for the most part, cats will go hide under a bed, and right. they'll find them in there. Right, but poor Elgato, he made it. I'm glad to hear it. We should probably end it on that note. Laura Bricker, if people want to send you their uh, very brief anecdotes for Cat of the Week next week, <laughs> or Dog of the Week, or Pet of the Week, how can they find you online? Uh, at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if listeners want to write to you and perhaps send you the next recommendation for the Thumbs Diagonal podcast that they should be listening to next, how can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you online? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram if you want to see pictures of lots of dogs at Reb Lavoie. You can also check out my other show, HGTV and Me, and These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast. You can tweet to this show at Crime Writers On and join the fine folks in the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Or just leave a comment on our regular old-fashioned Facebook page. Go to our website to sign up for our newsletter and buy swag. Subscribe now to Stitcher Premium to get exclusive ad-free content from our team. If you love this show or any of our other podcasts, please tell a really smart friend about it who has lots of other friends. And if you haven't done it yet, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference. Line production is done by the very handsome, soon-to-be DC-bound, Henry Lavoie. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in Studio C, otherwise known for now as a closet in our basement, where we keep the cash we hope to give out as a reward someday. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Got it. Sorry about that, guys. That's, that's, they just don't fucking write this like radio. You should apologize to me because no, I'm, the to to, them. I'm the one who has oh. to cut all that back into the podcast. Yeah, I know. It's like an extra 40 minutes worth of work you just made for me, motherfucker. Because <laughs> you can't read. Yeah. You're the pain Lindsay of the closet. <laughs> you have like non-radio people writing radio scripts. Beginning Tuesday, January 23rd, WGN America premieres your next addicting mystery thriller, the new original series Bellevue, starring Oscar winner Anna Paquin. She plays Annie Ryder, a detective in the small town of Bellevue where a transgender teen has gone missing. Annie starts receiving creepy riddles and clues that could be connected to the case. Critics rave Bellevue is original, ambitious, and stands apart. Don't miss the series premiere of Bellevue, Tuesday, January 23rd at 10, 9 central on WGN America. Go to WGNAmerica.com to find the channel in your area.